Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. You deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. It's far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. It's the Sooners Illustrated Podcast, episode 37 on this Tuesday, November 21st. 2023, Josh Calloway, James D. Jackson, Tom Green. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Thanksgiving week, last week of the regular season, if you can believe it. I'm actually very excited to eat some food, actually. I'm glad you brought up Thanksgiving. I mean, we're all there now. It's that time of year. But hey, oh, you've got one more game. One more game in the regular season. Let's see how they finish it out. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's been a season's gone by in a hurry. Um, Feels like it happens every year. This blanket, it's gone, but it's uh, been quite a ride so far. Ready for a uh, Thanksgiving short week. Get 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 to it with some Black Friday football, and actually get to enjoy watching the rest of the madness on Saturday as we try to sort out all the Big Twelve scenarios. One hundred percent. It's been a minute since I got to actually like sit and watch Ohio State, Michigan, some of these other big uh, rivalry games. Iron Bowl uh, for you, Tom. So excited for that. That's what we got on Friday game. The weather looks far better on Friday than Saturday too. So kind of working out uh, well all That's around this weekend. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. It looks awful on Saturday. <laughs> I, for our OSU brethren, McLean, I'm sorry. Um, it looks it looks gross uh, right now in Oklahoma on Saturday. But the game's on Friday this week. So a little programming news off the top here. Obviously, we're doing the show on Tuesday. Um, this will be the one show we do this week. We're figured just kind of the way it worked out. Obviously, Thanksgiving's on Thursday when we normally record because there's probably not much of an appetite for a Thanksgiving episode the day before the game. And then Brent Venables, because the game was on Friday, moved his press conference to Monday yesterday. So he didn't really have time to record yesterday. So just kind of combination of things fair. Let's just bump back to Tuesday. We'll do one show this week. We'll recap BYU. We'll preview TCU. And then next Monday, we'll get back on track. We'll recap TCU and look ahead to whatever there is to look ahead to. If that's a big 12 championship game, we'll do that. And if it's the bowl season, postseason, we'll do that. So we'll look forward to that. We'll get more on back on a normal schedule next week. But obviously with Thanksgiving, kind of shifting things around. So Tom and I were in Utah um, over the weekend in Provo. Awesome trip. Um, you know, I haven't covered the team for as long as you know some others uh, on the beat, certainly. But from the time that I've been covering the team, it's high up there for coolest spots. And some guys who covered the team for a very long time said it was high for them too. Um, Tom, you've been around, obviously, not covering Oklahoma, but covering different SEC teams and going to different places. That was certainly the, just the setting of it, the mountains. I mean, you take as many photos and videos as you can, but to see with your own eyes, you know, really is the only way to do it justice. Really, really cool road trip and scene out there. And Oklahoma found a way. Uh, to escape with a win, obviously. What is that going for you, Tom, though, in terms of the trip? Because it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it was a cool trip. Um, certainly the setting of the game yeah. is probably the coolest that I've, that I've been around. I mean, I know, you know, some of those other schools out west, you know, are kind of nestled in the mountains kind of uh, similarly. I know the Rose Bowl is another real pretty, sitting, uh, real pretty setting. I've never mm-hmm. been there. But just as far as like the location of the stadium and the views around, like this, this is by far the best. You know, not not the fanciest stadium by any means. You know, I've seen some really high end stadiums across the SEC. And it's just, old, like, it's an old stadium. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an old stadium, but 
the, the locale is hard to beat. Um, you know, you're almost 5,000 feet above sea level, got the mountains in the backdrop. The drive in from Salt Lake City is just breathtaking, especially, you know, the time that we were heading in with the early kickoff, the sun was rising over the mountains. So that was really cool to see. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the only thing that wasn't great about the trip was the, you know, how quick the turnaround was for everything. You know, I think, you know, you and I each got like three hours sleep two night, two of the nights that we were out there. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but it, it was a fun trip. Um, definitely one I'll remember for a while, but, uh, Let's get to the game. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely still catch up on sleep. Uh, no, not about that. 10 a.m. kick in uh, Utah. Then our flight back on Sunday morning was at 5.30. Uh, mine was at 5.30. It was at 5.15. So we got to the airport real early on Sunday. But we got back. No hassles. And uh, like you said, as far as the game goes, Oklahoma found a way. Um, we talked about this game, obviously, on Thursday's show. We previewed it. We all thought BYU was not any good. Uh, and they, they, they aren't. And... But they, like teams very often do, gave Oklahoma their best shot. It was packed out crowd. The weather was kind of crappy again, kind of like Kansas. Not quite to that degree, but similar. You know, it was raining off and on. It was a little chilly. Not as bad as it certainly could have been in Utah. And the Cougars were in this game. And we talked about on Thursday, one of the worst rushing teams in the country just ran it down Oklahoma's throat all day long. But at the end of the day, Oklahoma found a way to win the game. Defense made some huge plays. You know, we talked about it in the post-game recap, uh, Tom, you and I on the field. Not really worried about style points. You're just trying to win games at this point. So Oklahoma found a way. It was certainly ugly. And kind of the flip of a lot of Oklahoma games last two years, we were kind of looking at the stats afterwards saying Oklahoma really should have won this game. You almost could argue Oklahoma got lucky to win this one. What was kind of the main thought process for you guys on Saturday when that game was over and Oklahoma won? Was it just kind of like, man, Oklahoma dodged a bullet. Man, this team has come a long way. The fact they found a way to win that. What was kind of just the feeling that you had? after uh, the Sooners just flat-out survived uh, one uh, uh, a scare there in uh, Provo? I mean, I think it's a combination of both of those things. Um, you know, this team last year probably loses that game. Yeah, you, know, you look at, you know, net success rate, BYU was better than Oklahoma. They, they played mm -hmm. a better game. They outplayed Oklahoma for four quarters pretty much. Um, really, the difference in the game was, you know, Oklahoma was 21 nothing on points off turnovers and the defense kind of stepped up there late in the fourth quarter um you know, or late in the game rather you know two takeaways that led directly to 14 points one was the pick yeah. six by billy bowman at the you know for the 100 yards when byu was at the two yard line really just changed the the whole outlook of the game at that point because byu was about to score and take the lead for the first time and then you know danny stutzman strip sack there in the fourth quarter uh the team's first sack in you know, almost four games, 306 snaps defensively without a sack. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I mean, you, you look at how the defense kind of closed that game strong. In the fourth quarter, they only gave up 18 yards on nine plays. Um, considering how porous they looked for much of the game, uh, that that's something they should probably hang their hat on a little bit because it just, I mean, Brent Venable said it himself, it just was not good defense for most of the day. And once Dylan Gabriel went down, the offense couldn't do much either in the second half. Um but yeah, I hate to be jealous. I hate to be jealous, but I, I got to watch the game from the great state of Oklahoma back at back at home. I saw all the reporters there taking their pictures, you know, having a good time. A lot of OU fans out there as well. You know, I saw a lot of that, too. So I got a, got a little jealous there. But hey, Oklahoma got the win. And as you said, it was a it was a not their best performance, no doubt. And you got to give it up to the team for still being resilient enough to pull out that game. You talked about Billy Bowman's interception and things like that. Is this one of those plays where at this point it's the Jimmys and Joes that got to win it for you. You got to have somebody make a play because it just wasn't clicking. And then you lose your quarterback, your starting quarterback uh, for major half of the game. And, you know, a lot of teams can't come back from that. I mean, it, it showed that, oh, you have some resilience. They have some depth here and there to where they can pull in Jackson Arnold and, and pull that game away. And, you keep the uh, – trying to win 10 games in this season alive. You keep that goal alive, and, and you're doing a good job at it right now. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I mean, they, they, it's a big, uh, go ahead, Tom. Oh, no, I was going to say, like, coming into this game, they, they still had their Big 12 hopes intact. Like, mm -hmm. things still need to happen, but they have something to play for at this point. And, mm -hmm. you know, I hate to boil it down to it's simple as – you know, they, they had the will to win because they had more at stake there. You know, BYU is playing for bowl eligibility, basically. But, you know, as Brent Venables put it yesterday, every game is for bowl eligibility um, when you need to get six wins. But 
the f- I, I think just like knowing that they still had a shot to maybe get to Arlington, you know, maybe push this team across the finish line a little bit. Um, you know, they know that they couldn't trip up. And, you know, that, that was a difficult situation for them to be in. You know, going into halftime, tied 17-17, you lose your starting quarterback, who's been one of the best quarterbacks in the country all season. Asking a freshman who has not played since, you know, the end of September to come in off the bench and, you know, keep things afloat uh, for, for this team with with all of its hopes and dreams still in front of it. And to be able to pull it out with, you know, kind of the supporting cast around him stepping up. Like Jackson Arnold did, you know, what he did didn't like jump off the page to you when you look at his numbers, five of nine, 33 yards. You know, he had those two big third down conversions, but it was everybody around him that kind of led them across. You know, Gavin Sawchuk mm-hmm. you know, really stepped up in the second half. The defense surged late and just willed this team to the finish line. And it showed, I mean, what kind of player he's going to be because he even checked out of a out of a play, Tom. In the middle of the game, he said that he said he checked out of a play and made a different read, and it and it worked out well for the Sooners. They said he said it's something they practiced. All the quarterbacks knew about it. If you get this situation, you check out of and get another play, and and he did that. Didn't was not was not scared of the moment at all. You know, and it, and it really paid off for OU because that was one of the third down conversions, I believe, and he, and it made it, it was a really game, good stand for them. It was the game ceiling third down conversion. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, yeah. So they they were in third down. I think they were drawing up kind of a deeper shot down field. Jackson Arnold recognized that BYU was in cover zero first time all game that they showed cover zero, and he just audibled at the line of scrimmage, got Jalil Farouk to run a slant, hit him in a tight window, and credit to Jalil Farouk for holding on to that ball because you know that allowed them to just you know milk the rest of the time off the clock and come home with a win. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously the big story of the game uh, is Jackson Arnold getting his first real action. I mean, as we saw him early in the year, like Tom referred to, it's that weird like bell package they tried to do for a while that they got away from, and then just in garbage time, uh, obviously against Tulsa, Arkansas State, things like that. Dylan Gabriel goes down right near the end of the first half, head slam on the ground, and you know we'll forecast TCU game and what we kind of think about that whole situation uh, later on in the show, but. You know, second half starts, it's Jackson Arnold's show. It's a tie game on the road, 17-17, and go for it. You know, you got 60,000 people on your face. Your Big 12 championship hopes are at jeopardy, and you got to go for it. And clearly, the nerves were there early. You know, he bobbled that snap on his first uh, first possession. Had Tommy Walker for a little dump off for an easy first down, just missed him, just bad throw. But he settled in. He got more and more comfortable as it went along. Obviously, the Billy Bowman play was huge to take some pressure off. And they run the ball well with Gavin Sawchuk, and he got more comfortable as it went. Is the stat, or you know, like Tom kind of referenced, are the stats going to blow you away? Obviously not. He threw for 33 yards. But if you watch the game, you saw just that comfort level improve more and more as it went. The third down throw to Jalil Farouk, that eventually led to a missed field goal from Zach Schmidt. But that throw on third down, on third and like 13, I think it was, that was a seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, a vet throw to Farouk over the middle. He made a great catch. You know, he, he looked apart, you know, and again, the stats weren't going to blow you away. They didn't ask him to do a whole lot. They ran the ball a lot. They tried not to, you know, ask too much of him, I guess, in that tough spot. But I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, you have to come out of that feeling good if Arnold's the guy this week and certainly about the future of that kid because the moment didn't seem too big for him. Even though the nerves were there a little bit maybe early, he settled in quickly and he, he got Oklahoma the win. He found a way to get the job done, which I think is – you know, thing that most OU fans are really fired up about, you know, coming out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they didn't ask him to go out there and, you know, win no, the right. game on his own. Like Jeff Levy said after the game, you know, his message to Jackson was if every drive ends in a kick, whether that's a field goal attempt, an extra point, or a punt, they're going to be in good shape because okay. they had confidence that their defense was going to do enough. And, you know, basically, you know, that boils down to not turning the ball over. And that's what Jackson all did. He went out there. He he protected the ball. And, you know, he made a couple plays when he needed to. Had a couple nice runs. One that was wiped out by a block in the back. I think it was on Austin Stogner. Yeah, um, and that was on his first drive too. Um, so you know that that took a little bit of wind out of his sail. But you know he settled in after some early nerves. And um, you know I think it helped him that just kind of the timing of Dylan Gabriel's injury. Like he knew before the end of the first half that Dylan Gabriel was going to be out. So he, he was mentally repairing and then he had about was 20 to, minutes real time. Yeah. To kind of, yeah. He, he was able to go into calm. halftime. Yeah. yeah. He was able to go into halftime and actually have a conversation face to face with Jeff Levy while he's down there in the locker room and kind of like talk through what they want to do, what their plan is. And, you know, obviously nerves 
coming out there in the second half, you know, he hadn't played in, you know, a month and a half, but, you know, he settled in and I was, again, stats aren't going to jump off the page, made a couple good throws, but I was just impressed with his poise and, you know, kind of how he managed the offense in a difficult situation on the road. Yeah, having that happen at halftime was a it's a it's a beneficial situation as opposed to just the play after you got to go out there and run the field and 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 try to control the game. Mm-hmm. You know, as you said, he got to talk to Jeff Libby. A lot of the guys, you know, in the around the locker room got to come up and talk to him. Drake Stu said he he went over there and spoke with him. McKay Matara, they were talking about how they're gonna just just ride with us. We got you, we got you. Just just hang in there. And you know, they did everything they needed to do. So uh, the moment was there. The moment was there for him. That was that was good that he took advantage of it. And it's, you know, the crazy part, obviously going into halftime, you know, it's a tie game before you realize that Gabriel's going to be out. You felt like even though it's tied, Oklahoma's going to be fine most likely here because the offense couldn't really be stopped. I mean, Dylan Gabriel, they were moving the ball really at ease. BYU didn't have a lot of answers. Gabriel stuffed the stat sheet in his half. He had a buck nine, he had 191 yards on 13-21 passing for two touchdowns. Jaden Gibson got in there a couple long ones, hit Nick Anderson for another touchdown. That guy's a touchdown machine still. They, they remove the ball very easily. But then once you make that quarterback change, Oregon gets thrown into the fire a bit. Now it's kind of like, okay, this is this has gotten a little a little dicey here for a moment. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the defense found a way to make big plays. Gavin Sawchuk, like, like we've touched on a couple times, another huge game for him. You know, he, Oklahoma couldn't run the ball for a long time, but that we haven't been talking about that last few it's weeks. Very Gavin good. <laughs> has stepped up as that guy. And honestly, you know, I talk about all the time on the field, I don't, I'm not able to keep up with the stats that well during the game. I check him after. It felt like he had even more than he did, 109 yards, because he just ripped off big run for big run in key moments, uh, especially late in that game whenever, again, you're trying to get Arnold Sell. You don't want to ask him too much. A couple of big runs, and then the touchdown run, three broken tackles with two just big league stiff arms to get to the pylon. He's really good, and uh, it's been nice to see because it felt like that guy that we saw in the cheese it Bowl, that it was just not going to happen this year because the injuries and just this was going to be kind of a lost year for both him and Javante Barnes. So the fact they've got him going the last few weeks, it just it changes so much of the dynamic of the team and the offense. And, yeah, obviously you're going to lean, lean on him again this weekend if it is Arnold uh, on Friday. But, yeah, the run game, what a, what a, what a come up for the run game because it's gotten a lot better the last few weeks, mainly because of Sawchuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was his third straight game with over 100 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the four, t- you know, there's been four games in his career where he's had more than 10 carries. And each time he's gotten more than 10 carries, he's eclipsed 100 yards rushing. So he's a guy that is going to get you those yards when given the opportunity. Um, now that he's healthy, you know, you know, it obviously took him some time to kind of get back into game shape and get up to speed. But he's looking so much more comfortable now. He's running patiently. He's hitting the holes. He's breaking tackles. I mean, he had seven forced missed tackles in that game. Like you said, he had three on that one touchdown run that yeah. you know proved to be the game winner. Um, but you know, I think in the second half he had 81 or 82 of his 107 yards. He was really good after contact. And as Jeff Levy said, you know, it just felt like the first guy never brought him down. You know, we, we hear the term running through trash a lot from, you know, Jeff mm-hmm. Webby and Brett Venables and kind of everybody involved on that offense. And that's what Gavin Salchuk's been able to do these last three weeks. And, you know, a lot of attention is going to go to like Billy Bowman's pick six and, you know, Danny Stutzman's forced fumble. But, man, they don't win that game if Gavin Salchuk cannot produce the way he did in the second half because he kind of carried that offense yeah. um, when, when, when they, they needed a jolt and he provided it. I mean, you look at the stat. I mean, OU is the only team in the country to score 49-plus points three times this year. I mean, you think about what this offense would have been if Gavin Salchuk not had not been hurt at the beginning of the year with that hamstring injury. I mean, because that's the only thing that we can nitpick earlier. Josh and I have talked about it a lot, just the mm-hmm. lack of running, lack of being able to run the ball, and it just picked up as Gavin Salchuk got more you know, healthy. Because now you have Gavin Salchuk and Tommy Walker going at it, and it's just like that's that's a recipe for success right there when you talk about – being able to run the football because the offensive line has found their group. This is all, everything that we talked about. I said throughout the year, oh, you would get better. And this is what I was thinking would happen. But I didn't think the two losses that they had would be cut because of, you know, turnovers, turnover battles, things yeah. like that. Because as we said, OU's run the ball well as of late. And they've always been playing good defense uh, most of the time. And those are usually keys to win football games. You know, run the ball well, play good defense. It's just those turnovers, those mishaps they had against Kansas and OSU, it has derailed from what, you know, what you thought could this season could have been from what, you know, 
national championship title hopes and all that type of stuff. But they still have a chance yeah. for the Big 12 championship game. And I know we're about to get into all those scenarios and talk about that too. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like Josh mentioned, like before Dylan Gabriel got hurt, you weren't too concerned about the offense because they were able to get pretty much anything they wanted. Mm-hmm. Run game wasn't doing a whole lot because they weren't asking it to do a whole lot in the first half. Like they were mm-hmm. just leaning on Dylan Gabriel, passing the ball around the yard. You know, you said 19 attempts, almost 200 yards, two tutties. But for them to like then just turn around and be like, okay, we're going to lean on our run game. And, you know, Gavin Sotrak's numbers in the first half didn't look that impressive because they didn't ask him to do too much. But then to just turn around and be like, okay, we're going to hand you the ball, you know, 14 times and you're going to break off 100 yards in this game. And, you know, we're, we're just going to lean on you and ask you to help carry this team across the finish line right now. Um, you know, there's something to be said for the level of trust they have in Gavin Sotrak right now. There's something to be said for, you know, just his skill set now that he's healthy. Yeah. I mean, like Josh said, this is the guy that everybody saw in that cheesy bowl when he had his first mm-hmm. real opportunity last season. You know, people were wondering where that was the whole first half of the season. That nagging hamstring injury, you know, like those soft tissue injuries are always difficult to manage, you know, because they can kind of reoccur at any time. But mm-hmm. since he's been healthy and, you know, back up to speed, he has been every bit as advertised as he was coming in. And there. They're able to run the ball when defenses know they're trying to run the ball. I mean, that's it's just a, it plays a big factor. It just opens things yeah. up. Just what you see, you see shots down the field to Jaden Gibson, things like that. Now it just it opens things up, which is what you needed when you know Andrew Anthony went down with the injury. You know, you you trying to find that deep threat again. You know, Nick Anderson get over the middle, things like that. So it's 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 been pretty good for OU. Yeah, his uh, Sawchuck's ability to have patience, but then also burst through and. Like we said, breaking tackles. He can kind of – we were talking about teams being able to beat you in multiple ways. Sacha can beat you in multiple ways. He can run away from you. He can run over you. He can make guys miss. He's he's a lot to like, and uh, he's going to be fun. Assuming hopefully he can stay healthy through spring and fall next year, I feel like he's got every opportunity to have a massive season next year if he can just stay on the field, uh, quite frankly, going into uh, into next year. The receivers, you know, like we said, Jalil Farouk and Drake Stoops both had some really key clutch catches in this game. Didn't have a huge game either of them but some big-time catches in big spots, both of them in traffic. Uh, Nick Anderson, another touchdown. Jay Gibson, the two bombs. Also got Stogner in there again for a, a key catch. So offensively, it was really good, and then you just kind of nursed it in the second half when Gabriel went out. And, as, you know, Tom, you said earlier they don't win that game a year ago. They definitely don't because without Dylan Gabriel last year, they were an absolute train wreck offensively. And so the fact that you had an actual backup option, we talked about it all offseason. Wow, they have a back. If, if Gabriel does get hurt, they have a guy who can probably get them a win. There it was, uh, mm-hmm. right there with uh, with Arnold. And uh, we'll see if he's a guy coming up on Friday. We'll talk about that more in just a second. Defensively, though, let's get that in. Weird game, obviously, because we talked about it on Thursday, and I mentioned it right at the top. BYU, one of the worst rushing teams in the country, averaging about 90 yards a game. And Aiden Robbins alone had 182. How you doing? 22 carries, yeah. 182 yards. Jake Retzlaff, the backup QB, um, got the start. We thought Keen Slopes was going to be back. He wasn't. They went with uh, Rhett Slaff. He ran around. He made big throws. And BYU, for the most part, was able to move the ball, especially on the ground, up and down, all really all game long. But they found a way. Two of Oklahoma's best players, best defensive players, certainly, leaders. They were just voted permanent captains this week, both of them. Billy Bowman, Danny Sutzman, two ginormous plays that Oklahoma probably does not win this game without. Billy Bowman, the pick six, obviously in the end zone, 100 yards back to the house. And then Danny Sutzman, who had food poisoning, was holed up in his hotel room all weekend, basically. Um, Said he had some bad pasta. Comes through with a huge strip sack right after Zach Schmidt missed another field goal. I mean, those two guys, that, that that's like textbook. You need a big play. Two of your absolute best players, your leaders, your captains, come through for you. Not a good day for the defense, really, at all. But you found a way to make two huge, huge plays when you really need to have them. You got to stop late after Sawchuck's touchdown. You escaped, I guess, is the main way to feel about it. Defense has been pretty good, but not so much on Saturday. But they, again, they found a way to make the big play. So, I, you know, I, you take that for what it's worth, I guess, at the end of the day. Who, who yeah, was it that had the. Uh... Who was it that had the interception against Oklahoma State? Tom was it? Was that Pearson or Bowman? You remember Bowman on the Bowman. on the Ollie Gordon throw? It was yes, Bowman. yeah, on the Ollie Gordon throw. So the, the play that he made just against BYU was a play that you kind of needed against OSU 
because he was one man to beat, and he did. That's the only man he didn't beat was against OSU. Like it's the same situation. Like if he'd have made that there, OU might, might win that game too. It's like you need that one big play. You know, it's it's kind of like crazy how he got the opportunity again and just really showed his speed that time. So yeah, go ahead, mm -hmm. Tom. Yeah, I mean, Billy Bowen's been a playmaker this year. He's got five interceptions, which leads yeah. to Big 12. I think it's tied for second nationally. You know, he's got two pick sixes. The 100-yarder was, you know, the third one in program history. Um, so he, he's he's been crucial to that defense. You know, he started every game at safety while kind of the other safety spot and, you know, one of the cornerback spots and even the cheetah spot have kind of, you know, been a revolving door because of, you know, injuries and various reasons. But he, he's been so key. You know, Danny Stutzman, you know, we can't say enough about – his role on this defense when he's healthy um, to just yeah. kind of, you know, it, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, they're playing in Utah. They're 45 minutes from Salt Lake city. Michael Jordan had his famous flu game against the jazz in Salt Lake city. Dan, Danny Stutzman has his, you know, so to speak, said flu was food poisoning, food poisoning, you know, however many years later. Um, so Dan, Danny Stutzman had his kind of, you know, lore building moment there. Um, Cause that saved an otherwise kind of ugly defensive effort. You know, the 217 yards was a season high for BYU by far. You know, the 5.7 yards per carry that they had was the most that Oklahoma's defense has allowed all season. You know, just the second time a team's rushed for more than 200 yards against them. Aiden Robbins, like you said, 180 yards. That's almost 125 more yards than he's had in any other game this season. And I know he had big <laughs> games last season, but, like, yeah. to have 125 more yards than he had in any other performance is, is wild. Um, you know, BYU was just – you know, getting them with some option plays, you know, the stretch runs to the outside were, were really getting them. And, you know, as Brent Venable said, it was, it was just a lot of, you know, misfits and not being gap sound. And, you know, he was asked about this yesterday when we talked to him, but, you know, when you have a performance like that and then a short week for a turnaround with a game on Friday against TCU, like, is there, is there concern? Like, do you, do you sound an alarm? Because, you know, you, you have to fix those things in such a condensed amount of time. And he seemed pretty confident that it's not going to be an issue, um, you know, because he said it's just one guy out of place here or there, um, one guy missing his assignment, not being gap sound, and you know, he feels confident because they have a you know ten other games of tape, yeah, in which the defense played much better um, against the run. So he thinks you know these things are all very easily correctable and aren't really a cause for concern against TCU. And we'll, we'll get a little bit into TCU's offense and what they can do here shortly. But yeah, it was just an uncharacteristically unsound effort from Oklahoma's run defense. But you know we'll we'll see you know if they can turn that around this week on short notice. I think and Brent was also said he said that's not the offense that BYU usually runs in terms of running the football. It was a lot of more RPO. That's not that that's something they were you know preparing for throughout the week. It's not something they saw on, on tape. So it was just a little bit of that, you know, guys not knowing that that was going to be what their game plan was coming out. And so he said he was relieved that it wasn't just guys just getting beat like they, they did against Kansas. It was just a guy just not knowing to be in this spot or this spot here. And so that, you know, that gives you some assurance. You know, hopefully TCU, you see everything that they put on tape this year because it's been a whole season now. There shouldn't be any surprises, so they should be able to prepare pretty well for them. Yeah, and the uh, the Billy Bowman pick six conflicting reports uh, from from Bowman and, and Venables on what exactly happened there. Billy Bowman said after the game, um, talking, I was right there. He, he told he said that he was going to blitz on the play mm -hmm. and decided not to because there was a guy basically wide open. Nobody was covered him. He said, "I better cover this guy. I can't blitz. This guy's wide open." Decided to cover him instead, and obviously jumped the route. Pick six. Brent Venables was asked directly about it in post game. Said he was not supposed to blitz which made me kind of is emblematic of the defensive struggles that day because they said complete, yeah. literal opposite things uh, post-game. Either way, Billy Bowman, he thought he was supposed to. So either way, he changed his mind on the fly and made the play. So you give him credit for that. Yeah. What, what makes it even more interesting is Kalani Sataki, BYU's coach, was asked about the play afterward. And it was an RPO. And he's like, that means it should be a run first. And that's a situation where, you know, Red Slap just needs to hand the ball off, but he chose to pass instead. So mm -hmm. if, if everybody does what they were quote unquote supposed to do, or yeah. maybe were supposed to do, who knows what would have happened because, you know, Oklahoma's defense has obviously been so good against the run in those goal line situations. But then again, BYU earlier in the game had a very similar situation where they, 
you know, checked into a pass on, you know, short, you know, a short yard situation at the goal line. They got a touchdown about it at that time. So, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, Jake Retzlaff was kind of feeling himself a little bit, thought he was going to be able to, you know, pull the ball and get another easy touchdown pass. But regardless of who was supposed to do what or be where, that's just another, you know, heads up play by Billy Bowman, kind of like, you know, Peyton yeah. Bowen's uh, blocked kick earlier in the season where he was like, yeah, I wasn't supposed to go, but I felt like I could get it, so I just went and got it. And you know, sometimes yeah, it's also funny. It's also funny. You think maybe Restlaff thought Bowman was gonna blitz. Maybe he had saw it on tape somewhere. It was like, oh, this is when he blitzes. I got a wide open receiver, and so he made the throw. So I mean, it's, it's like it's like mind games at this point. It's just it's just mind games. It's just a bang bang throw. I mean, it's just <laughs> snap throw too. Yeah, yeah. Him and him, him talking after the game, and it's on the YouTube channel. Obviously, him talking after the game about running out of gas and he he was like that elevation was getting me bad basically toward the end of that play but he just just had if the if the field was 105 yards i think retzloff might get him but <laughs> he had just enough uh to get there and finish that off giant play again i don't know if Oklahoma wins that game without that play um because it that was that was the moment where it was like okay smash the panic button i mean that would have put byu at 24 17 middle of the third Offense had done nothing so far uh, with Arnold at that point, and then just it just flipped the whole game. Um, mm -hmm. So just a massive play. One Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Week uh, yesterday, um, and rightfully so, just for that one play alone. But he had a big game outside of that uh, as yeah, well. He was, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Billy Billy was the I believe fourth highest graded safety in college football according to Pro Football Focus this week, um, and he was the number one safety in coverage um, by the by their grading. So, I mean, just an incre incredible play from him again. Again, that's a 14-point swing in that yeah. situation. And um, he was the one saving some of these Aiden Robbins runs from being even bigger, quite frankly. Uh, yeah. He made a lot of tackles in the secondary. I mean, it's a 20-yard run, so it's like you're not going to get go, go crazy about Billy Bowen making a tackle. But a couple of those couldn't have been even bigger, and he saved them from being even bigger plays. Billy Bowen was everywhere, and uh, yeah. he's having a great season. Yeah, I was going to say, aside from it just being obviously a – a game swinging play, you know, Jackson Arnold told us after the game, you know, he didn't see the play happen in real time. He was on the sideline on the phone with Jeff Levy up in the box, but he heard, you know, the, the celebration. He looks up, he, he sees, you know, Billy mm -hmm. Bowman sitting in the end zone, kind of catching his breath. And what that play did for the defense is one thing. What it did for Jackson Arnold, just taking pressure off of him and giving him a little bit of breathing room, you know, even though the defense goes out and gives up a touchdown the next drive, it's a tie game again. Jackson Orr just felt a sense of relief, like, okay, I don't need to be a super I don't need to be Superman coming off the bench here. Like yeah. these guys have my back. Like we we can win this game if I just play mistake free football. Absolutely. Only other thing I, I had that we definitely needed to touch on uh from this game was obviously Schmidt missed another field goal. Uh 28 yarder. I, the kicking game is a disaster. I mean, a just downright disaster. I mean, a 28 yarder is a chip shot. I mean, you you have to make that. <laughs> you have to make that. Um, every good high school football team in Oklahoma, James, you know, feels confident they can make a 28-yarder in a key spot, like every single one. So I don't know what the answer is. Brent Venables asked about it yesterday, basically said in a roundabout way, we don't really have a lot of other options. Gavin Marshall's hurt, um, has been hurt for a while. So their backup kicker is, is out. They do have other kickers on the roster, obviously. Um, but obviously, they just, they just don't feel confident to to make a change. And so my advice to Oklahoma would be, do not be in a situation where you have to rely on Schmidt. <laughs> that, that's my best yeah. advice. Uh, don't be in a spot where you need a big kick <laughs> late, late because it's just it's shown. You, I mean, it's a 28-yarder. It's a chip shot. Um, it's bad. The kicking game is very, very bad. And uh, I think everybody realizes at this point. And Oklahoma's just going to have – there's no fix. We're I mean, it's we're going into game 12. There's no fix. Oklahoma just has to find a way to – Hopefully not have it make him lose, basically, and yeah. uh, try to address it in the offseason at this point. Yeah, he's missed five of his last nine kicks, which I think is the big, big alarm. I mean, obviously, back-to-back -back seasons now that he's missed six kicks. He's at 12 of 18 on the year, which is what he finished last year. Um, obviously, still probably two, maybe three more games to play. Um, yeah, It just hasn't been good um, among qualifying kickers. I think he's like tied for 94th in the country in conversion rate at 66%. Mm. It just, mm. it, it's been a mess. But like Brent Venable said, like he's been their most consistent guy in practice and they don't really feel like they have another option at this point. Mm-hmm.
just a t- it's just a tough spot. I mean, it's a tough spot. You you spoke about it, Josh. You said, I mean, I've seen a lot of it in high school. Guys making twenty eight yards, and we saw Zach Smith because he's from Bishop McGinnis, Oklahoma kid, and he, he used to make those all the time. So it's just it's just I don't know. Maybe it's just a confidence thing at this point. But when you look at the stats, I mean, he is what he was last year as well. So I mean, that maybe that may just be is what he is. I mean, you just gotta look at it like that. That's who you recruited, so you, you just gotta stick with him. I think it is. I think it's definitely just it, it's mental more than anything. Because I mean, Brett Venable says we see him drain him in practice and stuff. Um, it's not that he can't, and he's made some long ones in his career. But I mean, twenty-eight yarder, eight. That was it. Was a tie game in the fourth quarter. It's pressures on him. He's having a rough season. You could almost see it, him wearing it uh, on his shoulders while he's lining up. Like, man, I hope I don't miss this. And that's just not. That's just not the way to. That's not the right mentality. It's just not. So he, he's. Having a rough go of it. They did have uh, a really cool special teams play that got called back in this game. Luke Elzinga threw a pass to Ethan Downs for a first down. That was awesome. Got called back for Nick, Nick Anderson having an OPI away from the play. But that was a dive okay. for Elzinga. And a good catch. Ethan Downs has got hands. He had the pick <laughs> against Kansas, and he caught this. Obviously, that's a guy who played offense in high school. They might need to work him in offensively. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> He can play. No, I'll put him in there. Let he him can love people over. Man. I've seen oh, it. Oh, man. Bring, bring yeah, him in as like a for the defense. defense. Uh, you, uh, you, know, you know how teams like – the goal line? We'll, we'll yeah. bring a defensive tackle in like for that goal line yeah. package. Oh, just, like, awesome so Mike Vrabel, like Mike Vrabel on the Patriots catching touchdown passes, Ethan Downs could definitely do that. I'm not saying he can't do it, but just say just save his energy for the defensive side of the ball. That's all I'm saying. Hey, Oklahoma's, if Oklahoma's <laughs> tight ends were maybe a little more alive – then okay. I could uh, I could maybe talked out of it, but you have no tight end production generally speaking this year. Why not? Why not? That was a cool play. I wish he didn't get called back, but it was still still fun. Uh, good throw by Elzinga too. Um, anything else from this game that you guys had that you wanted to touch on? I think we covered pretty much all of it. But any, anything else? Um, I, I know we kind of glossed over the receivers earlier, but you know, just want to quickly acknowledge Nick Anderson tied Marvin Mims for the program yeah, freshman good. record for yeah. touchdown yeah. catches with his ninth of the year. You know, Mims obviously did that during the pandemic shortened season in 2020. Nick Anderson will have a couple more games to try to, you know, take sole possession of that record. And then, you know, Jaden Gibson, you look back two weeks ago, he played one snap in Bedlam. Turns around, has touchdowns in back-to-back games. I mean, he's been a guy who, you know, even when his playing time has fluctuated, he has done a good job of making the most of his opportunities and just sticking with it. And again, we, we've talked about the importance of other guys stepping up at wide receiver since Andro Anthony went down. Um, just Jaden Gibson, just again, Im- impressed with how he's been able to kind of stay ready and make the most of his his opportunities when they've been, you know, kind of few and in between every now and then. So, um, yeah, that's the only other thing I wanted to add. Yeah, Jaden Gibson is one of those guys that we were kind of calling to get in the game or get more get more catches down the field. So it's nice to see yeah. him getting those opportunities now. And he said he was trying to make the most of them, trying to show the coaches that he can he can do that. So he said everybody trusted me to be able to make those plays. So I'm going to show that I can do that. So I mean that's that's just good from him. That's just good good for him and good for Nick Anderson. I mean we we've been raving about Nick Anderson all year. I mean so I can't we can't really say much more about what he's done. I mean he's he's on that pace. So just maybe you, you sometimes you might cheer for him to get the record. You know it'd be another fun thing f- coming from this season. Yeah, obviously, you know, Drake Soups is, is going to be gone. and He's graduating off. He's out of eligibility. We'll see what Jalil Farouk decides to do. You assume Angela Anthony will be back. Um, obviously, the injury knocked him out. But then to have Gibson Anderson, these guys have the the role they've had. It's just huge going into looking forward into next year for Arnold to have some guys who have had some proven production. Because that was a big question mark coming in this year. It was kind of like none of these guys have really had to do it before. That won't be the conversation going into next year, which is a, a nice feeling for Emmett Jones and and uh, the wide receiver room in that Oklahoma offense. The Sooners Illustrated podcast will be back after this short break. Greetings, fantasy warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. 
Pukanukua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here. This is Sandra Oreda from Attacking Third, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Golasso Network dedicated to all things women's soccer. With the NWSL expanding to 14 teams, the 2024 season promises to be bigger and better than ever, and Attacking Third will be along for the ride from start to finish. Before that, though, we'll be all over the CONCACAFW Gold Cup, where the U.S. Women's National Team is looking to clinch silverware on home soil. We'll also be keeping tabs on the winter transfer window, the Women's Super League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, and elsewhere. Coming to you multiple times a week with game previews, recaps, analysis, breaking news, exclusive interviews, and more, Attacking Third is your one-stop shop for the best coverage of the women's game. Download follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe to Attacking Third. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So, two weeks ago, West Virginia weekend, we talked about Oklahoma got a lot of help that they really needed. Oklahoma State got crushed. Um, you know, the door, Kansas lost to Texas Tech. The door was opening. This weekend, that just passed. They didn't get the help they needed. Oklahoma State, Texas, Kansas State all had losable games, and they all pulled them out. Um, Oklahoma State was down early. They came back to beat Houston, Texas, took care of business in Ames. Kansas State and Kansas were in a dogfight. Kansas State won that. So, Going to this weekend, Oklahoma, there's still somehow a crazy amount of scenarios possible, even though there's just one week left. Um, the most cut and dry for Oklahoma here is if Oklahoma State loses to BYU and Oklahoma wins, assuming Texas also wins, that Oklahoma will go to the Bachel title game. Now, like I said, there's lots of possibilities still. Basically, you need chaos. I mean, if Texas wins, Oklahoma State wins, then you're that's it. So you need an upset here somewhere. It's not over yet. But it's certainly a lot more bleak than it was a week ago because it felt like there was a there was certainly a high chance that somebody's going to lose, and nobody did. And so now you come into this weekend, you need some help, uh, basically. How are you guys kind of feeling? I guess just about the Big Twelve race at this point. Like I said, we I think mentally a lot of us who cover the team have kind of not not given up on a, the chance that we could be in Arlington next week. But it it's certainly like I said, it's a lot more kind of far-fetched now than it was a week ago you need a bit of a shocker to happen this weekend for it to for it to happen yeah i mean you, you look at the schedule texas plays texas tech oklahoma state plays you know the byu team that oklahoma just beat um <clears throat> it's 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 gonna be hard for you know oklahoma to get the results it needs to sneak in arlington i think i saw yesterday someone said a big 12 official told them that there's technically 126 possible outcomes left for the Big 12 title game, and that's with one game, one, you know, one week of games to play. Yeah, you know, a lot like of that, that requires chaos with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Kansas State all losing. So, you know, you know, the Big 12 released a kind of condensed scenarios the other day, um, which still didn't quite answer all the questions. Nope. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, if, if you're Oklahoma, I mean, you you need to go out there and obviously you need to take care of business against TCU. There's still scenarios where Oklahoma can make it if they lose, which is strange. Crazy. That, that that's the real chaos right there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're Oklahoma, you want to go out there and take care of business against TCU, and then you know you play the early game on Friday. Texas plays that night. Your first up. Yeah, yeah. Everybody else play plays Saturday, so you kind of you know get get the finish out the 18th hole, um, and then kind of watch from the clubhouse and. Yep see how things unfold and, you know, hope you can sneak in there. But it's obviously not a situation that Oklahoma wants to be in, but it's one that they found themselves in because, you know, they, they tripped up two weeks in a row and, you know, you, you just can't afford to afford to do that and hope to be a championship level team. Um, but you know, they still have a chance. They have something to play for going into this last game. Um, so we'll see how, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, as we said, it was Oklahoma hasn't really gotten beat by a team outright yet. It's just them hurting themselves with 
with lackluster penalties and things like that here and there. Now, obviously, saying they didn't get beat, they lost the game, obviously, but it seems like it was more of Oklahoma not executing their side of the football than it was another team just out-scheming them and beating them on the field. And so you, you look at that and you think, man, it's could have been a whole different year, and now you're in this situation. Now, you need Oklahoma State to lose, I think, is the easiest scenario, as Josh said. The good thing is they're playing BYU, which is a team that's trying to get bowl eligible. They need that win to get to six to six wins, and hopefully they can get you know a bowl a bowl game from that. So they're gonna give their best shot. It's not like a team that's just gonna go out there and just not play hard and have guys sit out and things like that. They still have something to play for, and so that that works in OU's favor in that situation. What's up, Tom? Yeah, I, I was gonna say one thing that's kind of interesting. We talked about how nasty the weather is gonna be Saturday in the state of Oklahoma. That's going to be weather that BYU is a little bit more comfortable playing in. Sure. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see if that kind of alters things, but it's definitely something to kind of keep an eye on and pay attention to. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you just got to hope for again, like you said, their easiest path is a Oklahoma State loss yeah. and a Texas win. So you kind of got to hope for those. Yeah, the messed up yeah. part is that it's it's easier for Oklahoma here if Texas wins. Um, which is backwards, mm-hmm. I think, in a lot of people's brains. Um, <laughs> but it is more cut and dry that way. Because if Texas loses, you got to open yourself up to just our brains <clears> melting <throat> and three or four teams tying for, you know, two spots or whatever. And that that's where it really gets gets weird. Because if Texas wins, obviously they, they finish in first place. They only have one loss. They're the only team that has one loss. But then if OSU loses, Oklahoma can State tie. Oklahoma beat Texas. Kansas State did not. They lost to Texas. Very simple. Bing, bing bang, boom. Oklahoma's in Arlington. They're playing Texas in a rematch. Whereas, yeah, if Texas loses, it gets it gets very complicated. So mm-hmm. it's it's going to be hard. I don't think OU fans have it in them to do to root for Texas to win, but it actually probably is beneficial for them if they do. It also helps them in the bowl scenarios too, which is the other gross part if you're an Oklahoma fan because if Texas makes the playoff, Oklahoma's in great shape to maybe get to a New Year's Six game where if they don't make the playoff, that becomes a lot harder to do also. So a Texas loss could actually hurt OU in a couple of ways. I don't think that's going to affect – I think uh, if Texas loses, that's not going to stop anybody from dancing on their grave a little bit. That's how it goes. But uh, yeah, this, is a, yeah. this, is, this is a bad time for OU fans, I guess, when you think about – Having a root for Texas, so you can. It's just that's just nasty. Still, that's nasty. Yeah, I, I still don't think OU fans will be able to. Uh, <laughs> based on based yeah. on the messages from our board, I don't think so. I yeah, don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> so as we look to this TCU game, as we wrap up here and we preview TCU a little bit. Um, good offensive team. Josh Hoover, the quarterback, took over in early October um, for Chandler Morris. Obviously, it was an OU transfer, was a starter to start the year, but got banged up, got hurt. Josh Hoover comes in. And uh, has been pretty darn good um, for TCU. They, they offensively are kind of sneaky, very solid. I was shocked to see that they are ninth in passing. I was not mm-hmm. prepared for that. A top 10 passing offense. This team can score a little bit. Sonny Dykes, obviously, they're not nearly what they were a year ago when they went to all over the national title game. But they're still, you know, they, they got some players. They only have five wins. So they need this to get to pull eligibility. So this is their season on the line. Mm-hmm. This weekend, the defense is kind of subpar. Um, what are some early thoughts here as far as what what worries you for Oklahoma? Obviously, we think it probably will be Jackson Arnold starting this game. I mean, I have a hard time imagining if Dylan Gabriel leaves a game with a upper body injury, as it was called. We all saw his head smash the ground and turn around and play again six days later. That, that seems tough, like a tough ask to me. I think it's probably going to be Arnold uh, this week. Where's your confidence level in Oklahoma with Arnold, assuming, you know, they're back at home. They've been very good at home against TCUs playing somewhat well. How do you kind of handicap it? Yeah, I mean, I I think Oklahoma has confidence in, you know, being able to produce points with Jackson Arnold, at quarterback, if that is the case and he gets his first start. Again, we don't know the extent of Dylan Gabriel's injury. You know, Brent Venables called it an upper body injury. You know, Oklahoma's radio crew reported, you know, at halftime that it was a head injury. You know, is that a concussion? Can he get cleared in time, you know, in six days on a short week to get out there and play? You know, Brent Venables said yesterday that, you know, Dylan Gabriel, Angelo Farouk, who got banged up on that, you know, third down conversion, you know, if they continue to progress like they have in the, you know, these first couple of days, that they should be available. 
for TCU. Now the question is, is that just coach speak to try to, you know, not tip your hand and be like, hey, we're yeah. starting a freshman quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I think it's going to be difficult for Dylan Gabriel to get out there and start. You know, when we walked out on the practice field yesterday, you know, he was out there, he was in uniform, but he was not in pads. So if he did practice, he was clearly limited to an extent. Um, but I think they have the pieces around Jackson Arnold and Jackson Arnold has the talent clearly to like be able to produce points um, in, in this offense. But you know, that that's the big question that's looming over this game. And it's probably why Oklahoma is only what, like a 13 point favorite, I think at home. I got 10 um, right now. 10, 10, yeah, 10 and a mm-hmm. half, maybe something like that. Yeah. Either, either way, the, 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 it's, a, it's less than two touchdowns against a BYU team that's lost five of its last seven games. Um, you know, that's probably closer than a lot of people would have expected, you know, just if you put the teams out there on paper. Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of see how it plays out these next couple of days. But I think the the quarterback question is the one thing that really looms large. And, you know, then there's the other thing of which version of Oklahoma's defense do we see? Yeah. Do we right. see the defense that kind of got, you know, chopped up? in the run game last week because TCU has a pretty good running back in Imani Bailey, who's, you know, 21st nationally in rushings, got over a thousand yards, mm-hmm. 5.25 yards per carry, seven touchdowns. Like he's, he's a good guy. This is a, you know, an offense that's been able to produce points, even though they've been really bad in the red zone, um, like one of the worst teams in the country in the red zone. Yeah. Um, shocking it's awful, uh, in the red zone. Yeah. 127th. Yeah. And, and, and in touchdowns, they're 88th. Um, in touchdown percentage. So like they, they just have not been able to to really score consistently when they've gotten inside the 20-yard line, um, mm-hmm. which probably says something about how explosive the offense is if they're still one of the top-scoring offenses in the country yeah, there. Um, a game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, you mentioned – okay, go ahead. I know you're saying, go ahead. No, So no, you no, mentioned Dylan Gabriel, you know, not practicing. I mean, maybe not practicing. He was out there, though, and it – if you're thinking about concussion, you think, okay, maybe that's a good sign that he's not just in a dark room somewhere. You know, he's out there and, and, and watching practice if he's not practicing. So that, that should give you some, you know, hope if you want to the Gabriel back out there. That should give you some hope to see uh, him not playing. But as, as Josh talked about with with B, uh, with uh, with TCU having something to play for with the bowl game eligibility, OU has, you know, a lot to play for as well. And I think if you uh, look at, you know, you want to look at the ifs and, and things like that. OU still has to come up and really play well. I mean, they they want to go undefeated at home this season. They want to get to ten wins this season because, as we talked about before the season, they they're in that they're in that that group of Alabama, OU, and and Ohio State of the teams that have won ten games. You know, a streak that they have of the most ten win seasons. So, you know, looking at that, OU has a lot to play for as well. Now, the scary stuff that we talked about is. OU's defense. So are they going to come up and play to their standard? Are they going to look like they did against BYU and have, you know, TCU do some things that they shouldn't be doing against them? You know, you you go into games and you expect OU to play very good against the run, you know, things like that. They've done it all season long, as we as we mentioned. So it's just playing to their standard at this point. You you got to hope that OU plays to their standard. If they do, they'll win this game. That's the that's the only thing. So you, you think about scares, yeah. that's all it is. As far as, you know, the Arnold Gabriel, you know, this we did this last year. You know, Gabriel went down against TCU. Um, same thing. Um, basically, the exact same situation. Only, obviously, that that day, Davis Bell took over and Oklahoma got destroyed because the offense without Gabriel, well-documented, was not good. Mm-hmm. The week of the Texas game that followed is the same kind of deal. Like, Gabriel could be available. He might play. You know, who we'll see what happens. And then the day of the game came, and Gabriel was out there. He warmed up full uniform. And then the game started, and it was Davis Bell. Gabriel is not available. He went up to the box and watched the game up there. I think it's going to be the exact same thing. That's just my opinion. Um, it's just it's such a quick turnaround. The Friday game, I think that we're not going to know until it kicks off. Gabriel, I, ha- I have full expectation, will be there. He'll warm up. He'll be in uniform. We won't know until, I guess, the lineup video plays before they run out um, mm-hmm. at the stadium. That's when we'll know for sure because I think they're going to stretch this out until then. I'm assuming it's going to be Arnold. Um, I guess you never know, but that that's my assumption. But I do think that Jackson Arnold, and again, not that I think he played poorly. I don't think that at all in Provo. But I think a week to prepare, you're at home. I think the offense will be just fine, frankly, with Jackson Arnold. I mean, I've been saying all year how good I think that kid is. And so I think a week to get ready, you're back at home. TCU's defense isn't amazing. It's just kind of about average, I think is a fair way to call it, to put it. I think the offense will still be 
pretty pretty darn solid. I think if if Arnold is the guy, and I expect him to be the guy on on Friday. And that's kind of it. Kind of works in your favor now that you had to burn his red shirt if he does play. I mean, you get to see you know get him in there early and get him a chance to get it, to get a go at it before next season uh, when it's, when he's the guy. So I mean that if he mm-hmm. does go, I mean that's that's a good thing for OU as well. For sure. For sure. Um, so defensively, is there any, I mean, like Tom mentioned, I mean, Imani Bailey's having a nice season. Josh Hoover has been pretty good since he took over a young QB can move around. They don't really give up a lot of sacks, which like we just said, Oklahoma hasn't been sacked in the quarterback. So, um, it'd be kind of a, I don't know if statistical anomaly is the right way to put it, but you have a team that's been pretty good about protecting that quarterback, a team that has had a problem getting the quarterback over the last month or so going toe to toe here. You know, it feels like Oklahoma defensively there is some potential to uh get gashed a little bit here based off what we've we've seen what's the concern level defensively um just going into this matchup like we said tcu's got some they got some guys they're not like they were a year ago but you know they're a good team i mean they're top 15 scoring i said top 10 in passing they don't run the ball particularly about middle of the road a lot of it is just Amani bailey they don't have anybody else that runs the ball outside of him um they're terrible in the red zone like tom mentioned they don't finish drives. they only score in the red zone 68.9% 68.9% of the time, which is just outrageously low. They don't. They only score two-thirds of the time when they're in the red zone. That's crazy. And so the touchdown what, what, what rate is 55%. The What's that? I said the touchdown rate is 55%. So like yeah, half of their red much. zone opportunities are yeah, touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you got the scoring right, but I mean mm-hmm. – when you get in the red zone, you want to score touchdowns. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. And TCU has not been great at that this yeah, year. Yeah, a little over half the time. But no. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, think I, I they're, think... there's the size of their, their playmakers, their receivers, and, and tight end. That could that could be a little something that OU has to worry about, you know, really play to their technique. I asked Brent Venables about that at the press yesterday. He was like, it's all about technique being physical and, and just playing smart i mean don't don't try to play one-on-one against those guys use your use the other guys around you to help you out as well and so i think they'll begin prepared for that uh as they as they go into friday and, and try to play this game yeah i mean i think there's some level of concern defensively i mean you know josh hoover's had a, a couple 400 yard games including you know last week he was you know 24 of 29 you know, that's 83 percent of his passes 412 yards a couple touchdowns um <clears throat> you know and again, TCU, this is potentially their last game of the year. You know, they need a win to get bowl eligible. <clears throat> you know, is the bowl eligible part, you know, going to give them a little bit extra, you know, go out there and need to win this game? Is this going to be a game where, hey, because this might be their last game, they just empty the playbook and, like, throw mm-hmm. throw the kitchen sink at Oklahoma? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, things can get weird with it being a short week. But, I mean, I think there are – certain things that Oklahoma's defense should be concerned about. But again, Brent Venables feels pretty confident that the issues that they had last week are pretty correctable, even on a short week. Um, but we've seen this defense give up, you know, chunks of yards, you know, most weeks. But they've yeah. found ways to get stops when they've needed to. Again, we, we've talked about how they've been very opportunistic. They're second in the country in turnovers forced, you know, one of the best in turnover margin, you know, in their, you know, 10 wins now. I think they've outscored opponents like 100 and something to three in points off turnovers. It's just ridiculous at this point. Or no, not 91 to three in their nine wins, rather. Sorry. 91 to three in points off turnovers or nine wins. That's pretty good. If they can continue yeah. to be opportunistic, especially at home, you know, they should be in pretty good shape. But I do think that this TCU offense presents some, some things to be a little bit worried about. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go ahead and pick the game to wrap it up here. Uh, I don't have Colin's pick yet. Uh, obviously not on the show today, but he will have a pick. Look for his pick on the staff picks post on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, we'll have that uh, for you. But let's go ahead and pick it. Um, what are we thinking? Oklahoma TCU on Friday. Final home game, Black Friday, 11 a.m. kick. I, like I said, I got the line at 10 right now. So adjust yourselves accordingly. 10 on the dot. Who wants to mm. start? Mm. Who's feeling it? Go, James. I don't. I don't know. I'm. I, I'm. I'm conflicted on this one. I think it's, it's going to be a close game. I do it's like the one. line. It's, it's, yeah. It'll be close. Um, I can't think of a point spread though. Um, 
because because in my mind I'm thinking exactly what the BYU score was. It, it just feels like it feels like that type of situation. So, um, I mean, thirty-one twenty-four is not like out of the out of the way for me. I think that's just where Oklahoma's going to be because you don't know if Jackson Arnold's going to be the guy out there. I mean, you don't know if Jaleel Farouk's going to be out there. I mean, you got all those those factors to play into it, and you, know, you got to go against TCU's size and things like that. You got to have adjustments for those situations. So. I mean, I think I think I'll stick with the BYU score. Let's go thirty-one twenty-four and stick with that. Tom, I will go thirty-eight twenty-seven. Yeah, let's go thirty-eight mm-hmm. twenty-seven. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think again, I think this offense is going to be in good enough shape, regardless of who starts at quarterback. You know, if Dylan Gabriel is healthy, there's potential for them to you know put up a fifty burger like they've been able to do at home. But even if it's Jackson Arnold's first career start, you know, I think they, they have the guys around him. The running game is playing well enough to complement what Jackson Arnold may be asked to do. We know what he's capable of. He has the talent to, you know, go out there and sling it. But I think this offense will be able to produce enough. I think the defense is going to force a couple turnovers. You know, I don't have a lot of confidence in TCU's red zone offense, as we just discussed. I think they're going to have to settle for, you know, a couple field goals down in there. Um but yeah, 38 to 27, I think Oklahoma barely covers. Yeah, I got same uh, point margin, different score. I got 35-24 uh, Oklahoma. I'm not giving them a field goal anymore uh, moving forward. Uh, we'll, I, something's got to change. Zach can make a field goal bad here or there. Come uh, on now. <laughs> boy, uh, 35-24, I got Oklahoma. Um, I do think – I'm operating the assumption it'll be Jackson Arnold. I think the offense will be fine uh, with Arnold. They're not gonna. I don't think that they'll be able to put up a fifty-plus with him in his first start. That seems like asking a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think the offense is going to be effective. He'll make some big plays. Sawchuck's running the ball really well, so I think the offense will be just fine. Defensively, I think it'll be kind of similar to the BYU game in terms of I think that they're going to give up some big plays, but I just trust them to make big enough stops when they really need to. Like Tom said, maybe force a couple turnovers and keep the their score within reason. And then they win uh, not a, you know, a game that is relatively competitive throughout, I think. Not that I think TCU is some amazing team, but they're good enough that they can keep this close and, and hang around a little bit. So I got 35-24. I think Oklahoma wins by 11, just barely covers uh, like like Tom does. So there you have it. Oklahoma TCU come up on Friday, Black Friday game. We'll all be at the stadium. Final game of the regular season, obviously, and then we'll – be back with you next Monday to decide or to wrap up the TCU game and then look ahead to the Bishop Championship game or look ahead to the postseason. Obviously, we'll find out uh, after this weekend. Guys, have a good Thanksgiving. Yes. And we'll and, reconvene the game on Friday. Yes. And yeah, first of all, I want to, I want to thank everybody who's, you know, listened to us throughout the season, everybody who's joined us, you mm-hmm. know, at some point in the season. Um, hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. And if you're not subscribed to Sooners Illustrated and 24-7 Sports, we are currently running a yep. 75% off annual 75%. membership. Best deal of the year, Black Friday deal. Jump on it if you're not already on board. We promise to not disappoint you, at least not too much. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah s- subscribe. Um, you know, And everybody who's been rocking with us all year, we appreciate you and hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. And this is not a 75% off because of the end of the season. I mean, you got to look at what we do here. This is a recruiting service type of situation. So all summer long, all offseason, we're going to have recruiting updates, things like that. Colin Kennedy, myself, we're all going to be on that, just getting guys getting guys in front of yeah. you that you need to know. And then we're also going to cover the sports. I mean, all the sports there, softball, basketball, baseball, all that's going to be covered as well. There's a lot to go. This is this doesn't slow down just because football season is over for us. It's going to be a continues yeah. The continued streak of swords. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, and football season doesn't sleep. You know, even in the off season, we're around to be exactly, out exactly. Like year round thing. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it, it's it's year round no matter where you are. But with Oklahoma making the move to the SEC next off season, it's going to be it's going to be jumping. So um, again, seventy five percent off an annual membership. Come check us out if you haven't already. 100%. No, no better time. Obviously, like I've said a couple times, portal season is about to ramp up. You've already heard a lot about that kind of thing. Uh, coaching carousel. It's got. It's about to get nutty and a good time uh, to come and be a piece of subscriber. That Black Friday deal is a good one. So mm-hmm. jump on it. Favorite Thanksgiving dish, real quick, on the way out. Ooh. 
Hmm. On the spot. I don't know if it's Thanksgiving dish because I, I love green if beans. You eat a Thanksgiving it's, Thanksgiving dish. I mean, it's green beans. I mean, I eat th- green beans all the time, though. It's just, there's that's a your certain, favorite? There's a that's certain a seasoning favorite. that my grandma puts on there that's, right, that I don't, I don't keep up with. Answer. So, all right, I, I have two answers here. Um, my sister-in-law's like family recipe for mac and cheese is just incredible. Make it every year. Mac and cheese, um, yeah. yeah, baked mac and cheese has to be baked. Um, and then, so my family a couple years, a, a few years back, we kind of ditched the traditional, you know, Thanksgiving turkey insides because um, you know it's just people kind of got tired of cooking in the kitchen all day. Um, and my sure. uncle. Uh, my uncle makes a killer traditional like Spanish paella. So we, we, you know, we break out the paella cooker, the big dish and you know, he, he, he cooks up that paella and it is, it is incredible. I hate that I'm missing it this year. Not getting to, not getting to get down to Florida for Thanksgiving, you know, with the, with the Friday game. So I'll, I'll be missing that, but I will be making mac and cheese this week. So I'll, I'll have a, a little taste of home still. Big fan of mac and cheese. Basic answer, but it, it's I mean, yeah, it's I could have gone load yeah, me up on mashed potatoes. Load up mashed potatoes, put put butter on it and throw gravy on it. I could just eat that, really. I love all the things, but that's indispensable. Have to have Josh, whatever's the whatever's the most cholesterol filled or thing. I mean that's 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 your dish, <laughs> man. It never changes. Okay, last Thanksgiving thing before we before we leave y'all. Um what's what what's the traditional Thanksgiving dessert in your house? My hot take mm. on Thanksgiving is that I don't really like pumpkin pie. I think it's kind of gross. So I kind of eat whatever's there. Apple pie uh, is probably my preference on Thanksgiving Day. I feel like we just keep chocolate chip cookies around during Thanksgiving. I think that's just my I'm go-to. That. I'm, I'm always, that. I'm always for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a South Florida guy. We, we, we do key lime pie in my house. I'm gonna make pumpkin pie every now and then too. But the key lime pie is just. Key lime pie. I like key lime pie. I don't really ever get it. I kind of forget it exists, but I like it. On the rare occasions I have it, I like it. I'm a fan. Maybe maybe you guys are lucky. I'll bring some on on Friday. (laughs) Yeah, I hope I hope everybody sees what kind of eater I am. I just I'm a basic guy. I I mean, my answers were green beans and chocolate chip cookies. Just now, I mean that's that's (laughs) just as basic as it gets. That's me. That's me. I prefer the the original Lay's chips over the others. I mean the Doritos, (laughs) the regular. I mean I just. Whatever is the most common, that's, that's what I go with, all right? I respect it. I respect it. The OGs are the best a lot of the time. <laughs> all right, that's well, it. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving. All- Everybody have a good hope Thanksgiving. you get all the and chocolate chips you want, James. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not at the same time, though. Sounds kind of bad when you say it together. <laughs> It'd be a quick turnaround Friday morning on Black Friday, but like we said, excited to have the weekend kind of open, which is very rare in this business. Going to be fun. Looking forward to it Friday, 11 a.m., OUTSU. Three of us will all be there. Of course, keep up with us all week. Tons of game preview coverage. And on Friday, you should know by now, but in case you don't, you're a new listener, Oklahoma247sports.com. Loads of coverage from Norman on game day in the days to follow. They're on the YouTube channel. If you're listening on podcasts right now, Sooners Illustrated, Oklahoma247sports YouTube channel. Full post-game reaction afterwards from us, Brent Venables, coordinators, Dylan Gabriel or Jackson Arnold, whoever is the quarterback on Friday. And a slew of other players as well will all be there on the YouTube channel for you as well after the game. We'll see you then. Everybody again, have a good Thanksgiving. For Tom Green, James D. Jackson, I'm Josh Callow. We'll see you guys next Monday for the next edition of the Sooners Illustrated Podcast. See you. Gobble, gobble. It's crazy. Gobble, gobble. It's wild.